chapter 3 as we continue our study through the book of Philippians and uh, this letter about finding joy in Christ alone. And uh, the title of our message this morning is Follow the Leader. Follow the Leader. And we're going to be, by God's grace, finishing up chapter 3 this morning. Amazing. Wonder, was I in Philippians when you all left? No, okay. Sometimes people can go away for a long time, come back, I'm still in the same book. But this is a short book, right? And we're glad to see you. Everything going well overseas? Good. You came back to check out your house, make sure that Jared was taking good care of it. Okay, I understand. Yeah. Um, but we're glad to see you, Wanda. Um, and, um, but we are in Philippians, and, and we'll just have one more chapter after this, um, uh, after we finish this, this morning. I don't know how many messages it'll take you to get through that last chapter, but um, we won't rush, but we also won't be... be um, purposely slow and get what we need to get done. But let me read our passage for this morning and then we'll pray and then dive in. Beginning there in verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I've often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, by the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we are now in our time together of corporate worship, where we come to your word and uh, Lord, we're going to ask that you to do what only you can do, and that's our open our hearts and minds to understand uh, what you're trying to uh, tell us this morning through your word. And not only help us understand it, but Lord, help it transform our hearts and, and our minds that we might apply it uh, in every area of our life, that you might gain glory. So Lord, we'd ask you to do that great work this morning that you're so faithful and gracious to do every time we dive into your word with a heart that's humble and willing to learn and willing to submit to it. Lord, help, help us do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how, how many of you all, I'm going to see if we got, everybody's truthful this morning. How many, many of you all here have ever played the game Follow the Leader? And I would be shocked if you never played the game Follow the Leader. You know the game, right? I mean, he's a leader, and whatever that leader does, they follow the leader. In fact, in, in uh, Peter Pan... Um, which, remember, I've got a lot of kids, so I, I've seen these movies many times, and they, they have this little song, Following the Leader, you know, and Peter Pan and all the, his, his, his boys there the lot, the, that are following him, and they're doing exactly what he, whatever he goes like this, they do the same thing, right? If he jumps up and down and follow the leader, you just do whatever the leader does, right? There's another game similar to that called Simon Says, right? Simon Says, and whatever Simon Says, you've got to do. Uh, you follow the leader. So here we go. Simon Says... Put your right hand on your head. All right, Simon says, put your left hand on your hip. Simon says, put both hands together. Simon says, pick your nose. Oh, and see, there's where we get it right there. You get some goofy leader, right? We remember leaders like that, and Simon says, or follow the leader. And we, some of them, it was fun. We had people we wanted to lead, and we wanted to follow them because they made it fun. And then you had the goofballs that did stuff like that. Right, or maybe you're in, in, in a, a company of mixed teenagers. Simon says, kiss the closest girl to you. I mean, those kind of guys, you're like, don't let them lead. You know, and, and uh, probably depending on who the girl was or the guy was too. But you, you have good leaders, you have, good, you have bad leaders. And, and when we played these silly games, 
uh, we were hoping to have good leaders, le- leaders that would lead us the right way. Uh, just want to mention this too when we think about following leaders. All of us follow leaders in some capacity. All of us follow leaders um, to some degree. Uh, I just got to see a movie this uh, last week with my bride, um, uh, When the Game Stands Tall, about De La Salle football program. If you haven't seen that movie, I encourage you to see it. It is a great, great, great movie. I think we're trying to work it out for the football team this week to be able to see it sometime. Um, but it's an, just a great movie about leadership and about good Leadership. I mean, I was very impressed the way that they presented this movie and what happened. But um, it, it, they followed this coach was a tremendous leader of young men. They had the longest winning streak in football history of any level, 151 games. Um, and then they lost their first two the next year and ended up winning the state championship again. But he was just a tremendous leader even when things were down. I encourage you to see. But we, we want to follow leaders that lead us somewhere and lead us somewhere place, someplace good. Uh, to lead us to success. Now, some of the leaders we can follow uh, do lead us to success, and other leaders we can follow can lead us to sometimes destruction. And you think about the leaders in our world, not only today, but in the history of our world, you could, you could list, hey, these were good leaders that led people to something great, and these were leaders who led people to destruction. Now, I can't think of a greater contrast of two leaders that lived at the same time Outside of Jesus, probably in, in Pontius Pilate, but outside in, in a, a time that probably we can relate to a little bit more during World War II. One of those leaders was a guy named Adolf Hitler, who was a powerful leader of the Nazis, as you know, in Germany, and he led with fear and force and hate. The other leader I'm speaking of was Sir Winston Churchill, who was the British Prime Minister. Of that time, who led with courage and faithfulness and love. Now, the consequences in following these two leaders were completely different. They were the opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, those who followed Hitler were promised freedom, but in reality, they got bondage. And those who followed Winston Churchill's leadership got exactly what they were promised, which was freedom. Two different leaders, two different results. And the truth is, we all have followed leaders to some extent. And to some extent, we follow leaders today with varying consequences in our life. And we could probably think both sides. We followed leaders who led us astray. We followed leaders who led us to success, led us to something great. And could probably think about those things in our mind. But when it comes to following leaders spiritually, all consequences have tremendous impact, some even eternal impact on our lives when we think about following spiritual leaders. What kind of leaders are you following? Who are you following? I'd encourage you to choose wisely. So here in our passage here in Philippians three seventeen through 21, Paul is going to exhort us to follow the right kind of leaders. And as we study these five verses here in chapter 3, we'll be challenged with three exhortations to implement so we will follow the right leaders and be the right leaders. But before we dive in those five verses, let's be reminded of the context so we make sure that we understand what Paul's trying to say here. So let's look at chapter 3 again. In verses 1 through 4, Paul warned the Christians, or actually verses 1 through 6 in Philippi, about these teachers who were legalists 
who said, yeah, Jesus is okay, but it's really about you earning your righteousness before God. If you do enough good things and the things that we tell you to do, then you'll be made right with God. That's what will make you righteous. Well, then in verses 7 through 11, Paul explained that the, the, the righteousness that God requires is not something you could ever attain. It's something he gives you by faith in what Christ did. He transfers his righteousness to your account. And God says you are righteous because you are in Christ. And then, and just remember the math equation that we talked about. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. You add anything to Jesus, you get nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. In fact, I've got a little pen here. It says Jesus plus nothing. My big friend Bob Warren, my mentor who died last week, um, they gave these out to a bunch of people at his funeral. This was something that Bob taught me over and over again. Probably when I first started teaching me, when I was 21 years old, I never forgot it. Jesus plus nothing. It equals everything. And that's what Paul was telling them. It's not Jesus plus. It's Jesus plus nothing. And that equals everything. That's what gives you the righteousness of God in Christ. Then in verses 12 through 16, which we covered last time, Paul exhorts those who have trusted in Christ have been given his righteousness to passionately and persistently pursue Christ and to allow the Lord to make them more and more like Christ in their attitude and their actions. And press on. And he says it a few times in those verses, 12 through 16, to press on, to pursue Christ and grow, to be made more like him. Now let's, look, let's pick back up here in verse 17. Look there with me in verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So it's in these words uh, that from Paul, really from God through Paul, we find our first exhortation regarding leadership. Real simple. Follow the good guys. If you're taking notes, here it is. Follow the good guys. That's Paul's first exhortation taken from these, this verse here. Notice that. He, Brethren, join in following my example. Your, tra- your translation may say, join in imitating me. Uh, some would say that this is an arrogant statement to exhort someone to follow you. I mean, that's kind of arrogant, isn't it? But the reality is we all exhort others to follow us and follow our example in some way. If you're a parent here, you exhorted your children to follow you in some way. Did you teach them how to use an electric drill? You didn't say, hey, here, like, figure it out. Well, let me show you. Did you teach them how to stay out of, you make sure you stay out of light sockets? All right? Teach them how to change a light bulb. Teach them how to mow the grass. Teach them all kinds of things. You showed them by example what they were supposed to do. So to say, well, you know, don't ever ask anybody to follow your example. That's kind of arrogant. Then we're all arrogant. Because we all show people by example. And we exhort them, follow my example. Let me show you how to do this. There's nothing wrong with that at all. It's very biblical. Maybe even your co-workers. You, you show them. You, those who I know the way the Dow works, you, if you've been on the job very long, they're gonna, when somebody new comes in, they're going to say, okay, we need you to train that person. And they're not going to learn by you saying, hey, go get them. No, you're going to say, okay, here's how you do it. You come over here and you do this. And after you're done with this, you do this, and you show them how to do it. You're an, you're an example to them. And this was a common thing with Paul, to call people to follow his example. Now, just notice in, in um, uh-oh. Excuse me, got it there, there we go. Notice here in 1 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. And then in 1 Corinthians 11.1, oops, 
be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. And notice that last phrase, just as I also am of Christ. Anytime Paul exhorted others to follow his example or imitate him, it was always to do so as he followed Christ. He didn't say, follow me into sin. It was always, follow me as I follow Christ. It was always assumed to follow my example as I'm following after Christ. Was Paul perfect? We know he wasn't perfect. Uh, he, he even says there in verse 12, look there again, not that I've already obtained it or I've already become perfect. He's talking about righteousness and his, and his sanctification. He's becoming more like Christ. I'm not perfect. But he still says, follow me as I follow Christ. Notice his exhortation to the church of Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 through 9. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor do we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be burdened to any of you. Not because when we, do, we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. Paul said, follow my example. Over and over again in his writings. And not only Paul, that he exhort people to follow the example of others, but also the writer of Hebrews. In Hebrews 13, 7, it says, Remember those who led you, who spoke, spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. Same word, to follow their faith. He's talking about leaders here. They're spiritual leaders to, 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 to the Christians who are living in Jerusalem. And the, which the, the Hebrews is written to actually living right outside of Jerusalem um, uh, before 70 AD. We know that. But he was exhorting them, your leaders among you, follow their example. Imitate their faith. The writer of Hebrews said. So in, in what was Paul exhorting these believers and us to follow his example? What, what was it about his example? Was it the way he dressed? Was it the toothpaste he used? Was it the way he walked physically? I don't think those were the things he was concerned about. Well, guess what? The context tells us what he's talking about. Remember, this is, this is, we don't have to take these verses out of isolation. Let's remember what he's just said in chapter three, 3. Place your faith in Christ so that you will be made right with God through Christ's righteousness. He just exhorted them to, to do that. That's how you're made right with God. And then passionately, persistently pursue the heart of Christ so that your attitude and your actions will be changed. Follow my example in that. Trust in Christ alone, and then pursue him with your life. Follow my example. Well, we'll now look at the last part of verse 17. It says, and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have, you have in us. Paul exhorts these believers to observe and take note of with the intent that this word has, with the intent of applying what you're learning, what you're taking note of. You see this in a person, and say, like, oh, oh, that's pretty neat that they've got that. No, that's so neat, I want to do what they're doing. That's, that's, that's implied here in this word. Is, is you look, you take notice of these other people, these other people who are following Christ. Now, we don't know exactly who he's speaking of. Most likely, for sure, he's probably speaking of the overseers and deacons, the elders and deacons of the church, which he mentions in verse 1 of chapter 1, and probably other Christians that they knew or were in the body of Christ that, were, that they could follow. Look, at there's other people. I love this. Paul is not on an ego trip. He doesn't say, I'm the only one that you can follow. I'm the only follower of Christ. Look to me. As soon as somebody says that, don't look to them. Don't listen to them. It'll lead you to your death like Jim Jones in the 70s who led hundreds of people to their death. They drunk the Kool-Aid. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. And the way you keep from drinking the Kool-Aid is don't follow people who say they're the only people that you can follow. 
Paul did not. He says there's other people. He, he exhorts them to follow and imitate these other followers of Christ. Following the example of imitating godly leaders is not wrong. We're exhorted to do it in the scriptures. It's to follow the example of other, other godly people. And, and we can probably all think of other believers that, have follow, that we have followed their example in some way. I just lost one of my greatest examples last week. And Bob got promoted to be with the Lord. What a great example. And, and I, I followed his example as he followed Christ. He was a great influence in my life. And I'm thankful for that. His wife, one of the greatest compliments I've ever had, ever preaching or speaking at the funeral last week. Afterward, his wife Kim said to me, said, Brian, sometimes I had to look up to make sure it wasn't Bob teaching what a great, I, I didn't, I don't teach everything because Bob taught it, but there were some things that I learned from Bob that were scriptural that, that I exhorted people to remember. And she said, I had to look up to see it wasn't Bob. That was a great compliment to me. I'm not following a man, I'm following a man as he follows Christ. And we all do. And we all should, we're exhorted to do so. It, it's also important to note that we, 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 we can follow the example of those who are younger than us. Please don't miss this. I mean, it's not just, hey, let's look to the people who are older than us. Listen, and it's not just look to those who are more mature to us in the faith, maybe been walking with Christ for longer. We can learn from anyone who follows Christ. Even if they just became a Christian yesterday, we can learn and we can follow their example. So we should follow the example of many people as they follow Christ. Not just some spiritual, you know, he's Paul. Not, Paul makes sure we understand. And others. It's not just about me, Paul says. It's about all people who follow Christ. We can follow and imitate their faith. Jesus even said to become like little children, didn't he? The faith of a child. We can learn a lot from young people that are following Christ. Look at me at verse 19. Uh, verse 18, verses 18 and 19 here as Paul continues. For many walk, of whom I have told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction whose God is their appetite whose glory is in their shame who set their minds on earthly things so here in these words we find our second exhortation regarding following leadership not only are we to follow the good guys but we're to flee the bad guys it's real simple this is the way I'm going to remember it follow the good guys flee the bad guys and that's exactly what he says notice that Paul says that there are many of these bad guys. He says there are many who walk in this way that he explains. There's a lot of them. Paul says that, the, he, that he, he, he says this to warn them about these guys. And he also says, look, he says, for many walk of whom I've often told you. He didn't just tell them one time. He told them many times. Watch out for these guys. Now, most likely we know, again, Paul planned this church um, on a second, uh, second missionary journey in first missionary journey and then went back and visited again two more times on a second missionary journey before he was put in prison he's with them a lot and he exhorted them often to watch out for these bad guys these guys he's getting ready to explain so when somebody tells you something once that's good but if it's serious they ought to tell you more than once and paul loved these people and i just appreciate last week as jared lovingly exhorted us to watch out for false teachers prosperity gospel and not only to watch out for the teachers but watch make sure that attitude doesn't get in our own hearts right we can have the same attitude oh i don't believe that well there's some things that can show up but we, we, we're exhorted to watch out for the bad guys um and, and 
Think about this. He says that they, that about these bad guys and about the situation. He says, I tell you this. Not only I tell you this more than once, I tell it often. There's many of these guys. He says, now I tell you even weeping. Some translations say tears, but it's more than just a tear. It's, he's, it's, a, it's a, a sob, this word is. He's sobbing about the thought that these teachers could lead these people of the church of Philippi astray. And, and the destiny that, that they, they could go if they follow these false teachers. He, he, his heart went out. He was actually weeping. I, I can imagine, I think that, that, that there's good evidence that Paul had often had people, he would, he would dictate the letters that he wrote. So he had somebody, a scribe, that would write the letters. And Paul would say, right, and can you just imagine, he's dictating this and he's just weeping over these people. But I also, don't, I think he wept more than the people of Philip, the church of Philippi. I think, also think he wept for the people who believed this stuff the people who were the false teachers. He wept for them because he knew their destiny. He knew that would be separated from God forever in a place called hell. And he wept for them. Yes, we need to point out those who are wrong. Those who teach something other than being saved by grace through faith. But we need to weep for them and pray for them that God would open their heart like he did ours. We're no more deserving the gospel than they are. And I think Paul was weeping for them as well, not just for his friends. Now notice what Paul calls these men in verse 18. They are enemies of the cross of Christ. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? They're enemies of the cross of Christ. Well, in what ways are they enemies of the cross of Christ? Now it depends on who Paul is addressing here as the bad guys. Uh, there, there are two possibilities, and I think actually it, it refers to both based on context. And I think he's spe- specifically speaking of one group, but I think he's also alluding to another group that he's already mentioned. The first group that he's already mentioned is the Judaizers, the legalists, from the beginning of chapter 3. It's what you do that makes you right with God. I think he's alluding to that. He's looking back, and then he's going to specifically deal with another group. And what is it that, that makes them enemies of the cross of Christ? You see, they love Jesus. The Judaizers, we're we're in with Jesus, man. Give me the Jesus button. I like the Jesus sticker on the back of my uh, my bumper. We're in with Jesus. But we hate the cross. We don't want anything to do with the cross. We like Jesus, but we don't like the cross. And it's amazing when you speak to people about Jesus, it doesn't take long for you to find out what they believe about Jesus. Because as soon as you go to the cross, you'll lose a lot of them. Why do they hate the cross? Why are they enemies of the cross? The cross tells mankind they are sinful and their sin separates them from a holy God and it condemns them to hell. Welcome to Grace Bible Church this morning. That's what the cross says. It's what the cross teaches. That's why they hate the cross. The cross tells mankind that they must humble themselves. What humility? That's weakness. Are you kidding me? You must admit their sin, turn from trusting in their own righteousness. Oh, hold on. We're in the United States. I mean, anything we get is because of us, right? I mean, we're just the best workers in the world, the smartest, the brightest. Nobody's as good as people in the United States. I mean, you don't know how hard I've worked. People don't like to hear this, do they? It's not about them. They must turn from trusting in their own righteousness. You know, I went to Sunday school for 20 years, and I've got the Sunday school pens to prove it. Those of you who grew up in maybe the Southern Baptist Church, they used to give Sunday school pens. In perfect attendance. We had a, a girl, she ended up being a missionary, a great girl. I'm not saying this was her attitude, but she had 21 of those Sunday school pens. I'm telling you. Isn't it pretty cool? But these people, that's what, yeah. You've got to tell them. You've got to throw your Sunday school pins away. They're worthless when it comes to making you right with God. 
And people don't like to hear that. But they've got to embrace Christ's righteousness. The cross tells us that we're not good enough and we'll never be good enough to earn favor with God, to be made right with him. This is the way in which the Judaizers, the legalists, are enemies of the cross. They teach salvation apart from the cross. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. But there's another group of people that are enemies of the cross of Christ who I think Paul addresses specifically in verses 18 and 19 where we're at this morning. This group of people, or the group of people at the beginning of chapter 3, we could call them the legalist. And the, the group that Paul deals with in verses 18 and 19, we could call them the libertines. What's the libertines? So it's legalism versus license. A libertine is one who has a license to sin. So they think, hey, we like Jesus. Yeah, we, he died on the cross for their sins. So since he died on the cross for our sins and we're forgiven, we can do whatever we want. That's the libertines, or an antinomium, anti-law. And there's people like that then, and there's people like that today. There's people who teach that you can pray a prayer for salvation when you're whatever, whatever age you might be, and live like hell the rest of your life, and even deny that Jesus is Lord. You have to take that up with First John, which says anybody who denies Jesus is Lord is not of him. But they did not, if they would deny Jesus Lord and still be assured of heaven. Wow. That's not what the scripture teaches. It's not even close. It's an insult to the cross. And, and they think, okay, the cross, great, we'll take the cross. We'll get the ticket. We're forgiven. Then we'll just do whatever we want. And, and we'll feed the flesh. And crept into, and, and, and the, the, the Greek philosophy of the day was that it, it ultimately came, became known as Gnosticism. I don't think it was completely there yet at this time when Paul writes this, but it was this, that spirit was good. It's a dualistic approach. The spirit, spiritual world was good, but the matter, which included the flesh, the body, it was bad. So you could do whatever you wanted to with the flesh. It just didn't matter. And that crept into the church, crept into people who even confessed Christ. Uh, these people were all about Christ's forgiveness, but they hated the thought of holiness. Paul describes their practice here in, in, in four phrases in verse 19. Look what he says in verse 19. Whose end is destruction. Their destiny was destruction as being cast into the lake of fire with Satan and the demons forever, separated from God. That was their end or their destiny. Secondly, he says, whose God is their appetite. Now, some of your translations say whose God is their stomach, whose God is their belly, and that's a literal translation of the word. But the word is actually used often in the Greek, and I think the context dictates more than just the physical stomach, but it was fleshly appetites. Other places in the New Testament, it's even used that way. A flesh, fleshly lust, the things that gratify the flesh. So you all, those of you who lived in the 60s or who weren't babies in the 60s but kind of understand what happened in the 60s, it was this kind of mentality. Whatever feels good, do it. And look where that got us. That's been around for a long time. Whatever feels good, do it. And that's just this attitude whose God or whose desire is their appetite. The appetite for the things of the world that makes them fleshly feel good. Thirdly, the phrase he uses to describe them, whose glory is in their shame. They boasted in their worst perversions. They, they held it up. Hey, look. I mean, I'm free in Christ. Look what I can do. I can do whatever I want. Look what I did last night. Woo! I'm free in Christ. That's what they would do. The libertines, those who believe in this license to sin. That's not the scripture teaches. And that's what he says. He says, they boasted, they, they reveled in the worst perversion you could possibly think of. 
Fourthly, a phrase that he uses to describe them is who set their minds on earthly things. Their focus was on the here and now, on the things that will not last. Power, possessions, other people, positions. That's what their focus was on. They lived for that. That was their life. This people were enemies of the cross of Christ because they did not embrace the implication and the transformation the cross would bring in their daily lives. We see these kind of people addressed throughout the scripture. James 4.4 says it this way, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility to God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Jude 4. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for, con- for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn, listen to this, who turn the grace of God into the licentiousness and, licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They do this, hey, grace. I like grace. I'm all into grace, man. Give me more grace. I can do whatever I want with grace, right? Because God will forgive me. And that's Jude calls them out. No, their end is condemnation. And see, the scripture says that those who are in Christ, in Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And Jude's saying they're not in Christ. That's the problem. If they would say, God's grace will let me do anything I want. Jesus spoke of these kind of people in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. Okay, you don't want to hear from Jude or Paul? Well, let's just go to Jesus and look what he had to say. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now Jesus is not saying you have to live a perfect life. He's not saying that at all. But if our general, he's saying if your general walk is that after lawlessness, to flee from the things that I call you to do, to flee from me in your daily life, then you don't know me. I mean, you can have a hundred Sunday school pens. You can prophesy in my name. You can cast out demons in my name. Big deal. If you haven't trusted in his son, it doesn't matter. And Jesus says, you never knew me. You never knew me. So some in the confessing church today believe this believe that that can happen and that's not anywhere it's taught anywhere in scripture paul addresses this in romans at the end of chapter five he's talking about where grace increased where sin increased grace abounded all the more so the question was oh yeah so if i sin more then grace will abound more that's what paul's dealing with we deal with today too he wrestled with this hold on grace hey great so i can do what i want Look what Paul says in Romans 6 to that kind of thought process. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? So he's dealing with this thought. Oh, the more we sin, the more it heightens God's grace, the sin. And look what he says. May it never be, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? Now, I've taught this verse before. Let me tell you, the word may never be. It's actually one word in the Greek. It's the word genomai, the, the, the root word, which means to come into being, genomai, we get the word genesis, all right, existence, to come into being, to be birthed, it's used, and the word, and, and then there's a, this, this, this prefix, may, which means not, is a negative. May it never be, it can't come into being, it cannot exist. It doesn't go together. I had this thought, well, if, so 
go on singing, and grace may increase. And he says, that's impossible. You've been changed from the inside out. You're a new creation now. You've been given a new birth. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. That's not the way you would ever think or the way that you would ever want to live. That's his answer to that kind of thought. And, and obviously he had to deal with it as he writes to the church of Philippi. He had to deal with it in Rome. He had to deal with it in Philippi. He had to deal with it at every place because everyone can get it wrong. And these false teachers were all over the place. So to knowingly live in a lifestyle that pursues sin as a Christian, Paul says, that's not possible. It doesn't go together. So Paul warns these believers to flee from these type of people. Now how in the world would he know they were there? Well, yeah, they were everybody else, and he had visited there. But remember, there's a guy who came to visit him in prison that we talked about in chapter 2, named Epaphroditus, right? And all these things he deals with specifically, Epaphroditus must have said, hey, Paul, yeah, there's a Bible study down the road that some people are getting sucked into. The legalists, they're telling them they have to do these extra things to be, become a Christian. There's that Bible study, but on the other end of the street, there's a Bible study that they're teaching. You can just do whatever you want. Yeah, believe in Jesus, that's pretty cool, but you can go ahead and just do whatever you want because you're saved and you're forgiven and you're okay. Just do whatever you want. And Paul must have heard that from Epaphroditus, so he addresses it here because he loves these people. He loves them. He doesn't want to see them caught up into this heresy and following the wrong leaders. So Paul, we see here so far, exhorts us to follow the good guys and flee from the bad guys. Let's look at these last two verses, verses 20 through 21. For our citizenship is, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So it's in these words we find the third exhortation regarding following leadership. Focus on your new identity and destiny in Christ. Focus on your new identity and destiny in Christ. He says, follow the good guys, flee the bad guys, and focus on your new identity in Christ and your, new, and your destiny in Christ. First look at the first phrase there, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, this is, is a direct contrast with those, right before this, who set their minds on earthly things. Paul reminds these followers of Christ at Philippi that they are not of this earth, and should not focus on earthly things. Instead, they are citizens of heaven and should focus on eternal things. Elsewhere, Paul, as well as Peter, calls Christians aliens and strangers. That's what he calls Christians. Anybody in here believe in aliens? I do, because I'm one. I'm an alien. And if you know Christ, you're an alien too. This is not your, this is not your world, ultimately. You're here as a visitor from another planet. Not from another planet, from a whole other realm. From the presence of God. We're aliens. Hey, pastor told me I was an alien today. I didn't know it looked that bad. All right? No, but you're an alien because this is not your home. We live here. But this is not where, what we're of. This is not where we're from. We're citizens of heaven. And that's what they exhort. Paul and Peter both exhort. Paul is telling them, you're citizens of heaven. He's exhorting these followers of Christ to focus on their identity, their new identity in Christ. That they are saints. Yeah. Saints, Because Paul writes over and over in the beginning of his letters, I write to the saints at Philippi, the saints at Ephesus, to the saints in Rome. Holy ones. Are they holy because of what they've done? Mm -mm. They're holy because of what Christ has done in them. That's why they're holy ones. But we're saints. We're forgiven. We're new creations. We've been given a new heart. We're children of God. We're justified. It means be made right with God. We're, we not only are we being sanctified, but Hebrews 10.10 10 says we are sanctified. We've been made holy. 
Are we still being made holy in our actions, behavior? You bet. But we have been made holy in Christ. And it even says, past tense, we are glorified. And we will be glorified because we're in Christ. All those things, that's our new identity in Christ. And he's saying, focus on that. You're, you're not of this world. You have a new citizenship. You've got a new name. You've got a new family. Verses, the rest of verses 20 through 21, he says, from which you also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he is even subject to all things to himself. Paul also says that those who have a new identity should focus on their destiny. Not on the here and now. Not on the earthly desires. Not on the, 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 the weight of the things of this world, but to focus on their eternal destiny. Those who are new creations are to eagerly wait, it says, when Jesus returns to give them a new glorified body like his. Who's in for the new glorified body? I am. That shoulder hurts. That one does too. I'm in for the new glorified body. I am. And that new glorified body, this is what's wonderful, even more than it won't be hurting. We'll have the ability to worship the God of the universe in all freedom, in all perfection, We've never been able to do that before. But with a glorified body, we'll be able to do that. I can't even imagine what it's going to be like. But that's what he's saying. We need to look forward. He's telling them, look forward to that. Listen to how John describes this in 1 John 3, 2. He says, Beloved, now we are children of God. and has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when we ap- he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that day. And we get promoted to the very presence of God and are given a new body. And that's what Paul is telling them. Don't focus on the things that these, these false teachers are, are, are telling you to do, these, these libertines, these people who believe they can just do whatever they want. And focus on the things of the world. Focus on him. And focus on he's coming back. And he's going to give you a new body. And you're going to be taken up with him and be in his very presence forever. Focus on your destiny. It's the destiny of all those who are made righteous by placing their, their faith in Christ. Paul says, focus on that. So where's your focus this morning? Where's your focus this morning? Is it on this world and the things that are passing away? Or is it on your new identity as a child of God who's promised a new destiny in the presence of God? Well, as we close here, I just want to invite you to consider some questions. Who are you following? Who are you following? It's an important question and some other things that might help. Uh, This includes, when we think about who we're following, who are we listening to? What kind of books are we reading? What kind of music are we listening to? And I'm not the one, okay, you can't go to a PGA, PG movie, you can't go to an R movie. I'm not not doing that. I want you just to examine your heart. You can decide what that is based on principles in Scripture. We don't need a list of things to tell you what to do and what to do but you need what to do and not to do but you can't examine your heart right and it does include what we read what we listen to what kind of shows we watch who we're listening to for counsel where are we getting our counsel where do we get our counsel from when we got a problem where do we get our counsel from the people that we go to for counsel or listen to or watch for counsel do they say well in God's word it says this well, God would say this in his word, and let's go to his word. If they're not taking you to the word, when it comes to counsel, no matter how many letters they got after their name, 
And there's nothing wrong with letters after their name. But if those letters keep them from taking you to the word, don't listen to them, no matter how many letters they got taken after their name. A.W. Tozer, have you ever read A.W. Tozer? The Pursuit of God, The Pursuit of Man, some great books he's read. He, he barely graduated in high school. I'll listen to that guy. You know why? Because he takes me to the word of God. Who are you listening to? Because who you listen to is who you follow. And there's some people we shouldn't be listening to. And if somebody doesn't say, hey, what would God say? Let's just think about what God would say. Well, then they're not worth listening to. I'm just telling you. They're not good. It's not going to be good counsel. You can't be assured that it'll be good counsel. Well, another question. What kind of leader are you? Not only do we all follow somebody, we also all lead someone, don't we? All of us in some way lead others. So what kind of leader are we? Are we someone who others can follow because we are persistently and passionately pursuing the heart of Christ? Can you say to others, like Paul did, follow me as I follow Christ? Now remember, it's not perfection, it's direction. None of us are going to be perfect. We're going to blow it. In fact, sometimes it's good when we do blow it and the people who follow us see that to see how we'll respond. I'm not saying saying go blow it, but when we do, which will happen, we admit it. There's a great friend of mine who's a football coach back in Springfield, Illinois, super successful football coach, came to know Christ right before I moved to Springfield. His name's Ken Leonard. I mean, he, he, when I first met him, he said, man, I'm a terrorist for Jesus. I mean, he's just so intense, man, and he's still a pretty intense guy and just loves the Lord. But because of the way he used to say and the things he used to do before he knew the Lord, every once in a while something will come out of his mouth that shouldn't come out of his mouth. But you know what I love about Ken? I was actually there one practice when this happened. And I was, he didn't know I was there. I was standing off in the back. And he, he just he said, oh, guys, I'm so sorry. That is so wrong. That does not honor the Lord. That was wrong for me. Would you please forgive me? Oh, this is a football team. He's humbled himself in front of all these football players. Would you please? I'm wrong. They want to follow that guy because he admitted he was wrong. Who, who, who are we following? What kind of are people are we to, to, to ask people to follow us? Not perfection, but direction. Are we passionately pursuing Christ so others will? So who are you leading? Who are you leading? Paul didn't just say, follow my example. He also actually pursued and took initiative with people to ask them to follow his lead. And he exhorts Timothy in the second letter to Timothy to do the same. In 2 Timothy 2, 2, it says, These things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He told Timothy, go find some people to lead. And that principles throughout the scripture. We, all, we need to take initiative and find people to lead. People need someone to follow. As we follow Christ, always with that, as we follow Christ, who are you leading? Who's your, who's your Timothy? Who are your Timothys, maybe? That you're in taking initiative and asking them, follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. See, only two things in this world will last forever. God's word and people. So spend your life investing God's word into people. Because those are the only two things that will last forever. Well, most importantly, are you a follower of Jesus Christ this morning? Because that's ultimately the great leader. That's ultimately the only leader that we need to follow. We follow others as they follow Christ, but are you a follower of Christ? Have you come to realization that, yes, I'm sinful, and God's standard is holy, holiness, is perfection. He says that we should glorify him. But the scripture says that we fall short of the glory of God. We sin. And we don't meet the mark. We don't meet his standard of righteousness. Have you come to that realization that you don't? If you have, here's the good news. 
God sent Jesus to die in your place, to pay the penalty of death you deserved, to turn away God's just condemnation, His just wrath on your sin, to turn it away from you and put it on Christ. He made Him who knew no sin to become sin on your behalf that you might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's what happens, the great exchange. Our sin for His righteousness. We trust in what He did on the cross for us and we're given His righteousness. Have you done that? That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. And it will transform you forever. It will make you right with God. Have you done that? My prayer is if you haven't done that this morning, you would do that. You would be a follower of Christ by placing your faith in what he did on your behalf. Who are we following? Ultimately, we follow Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the clarity of Paul. And Lord, thank you for his heart for us, not only the people he wrote to, but Lord, and he didn't even know this, but you did, that we would read this and we would need to be warned and we would need to be encouraged and exhorted to follow the good guys, to find people who are passionately pursuing and persistently pursuing the person of Jesus Christ. And that we would look to them and we would learn from them and we would follow their example as they follow you. And Lord, we would be warned to flee from the bad guys, those who either add things to the gospel, who, who don't go far enough with the gospel, that gospel transforms our life, that we would want to honor you. Lord, help us focus on who you've made us in Christ. Focus on what you promise. And may they keep our walk and our lives in a way that honors you in all things. When I pray now that it was, uh, we continue to worship you through song, that we would do this from a heart of gratitude and thankfulness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.